0: Hi, it's Erev Pesach in the morning. I'm going to try to get this out now. Um, Like you, we have funny schedules. I'm in the rabbi business, but this year we're doing the Mechira in a different way. So I'm going to take up my time. And uh, again, in the current climate, I'm getting my comments burned by my son. So I find myself, you know, unusually non-active on the Pesach morning for somebody who's in the rabbi business. So I just want to uh, share an idea or so actually did this the other day in the Zoom with my shul. Um, and I'll just uh, give you something to think about for the Seder. Uh, something short, and that'll be it. Before I do that, I just want to say I came across something in the Zohar the other day, quoted, where really interesting because, obviously, the parallel that everybody's going to make tonight is, in the, in the uh, Corona era, uh, you know, we want... The Malchmos that jump over their houses. Uh, as we all follow the news, there's a lot of people suffering and dying, and all this in this uh, current crisis. And uh, you know, Pesach is all about skipping over. Well, maybe I should. The word Pesach is not clear what exactly it means. Uh, the translation of the word, but uh, we usually translate it as Passover. Although the Umlas doesn't. The Umlas always translates it as Chas to have pity. Pesach can also mean that pity. Probably the Uncleus does this because he's avoiding anthropomorphisms, that's the general policy, and, uh, you know, that's the mahalach of the uncle, and uh, maybe skipping over, you know, because you say, anivalo malach, anivalo sarf, if God is coming literally and skipping over, that's a little bit too physical. But if you say you have pity, that doesn't sound so physical, even though, from a philosophical perspective, even to have emotions like pity is, is uh, problematic, but most people aren't philosophers even understand that that's a problem. Uh, so Pesach is like that, and I just happened to look in the Zohar, and it says Kigavna istakach ba'alma boy bar nashlis b'shuka which means that when you have it at this time, meaning on Pesach, the mechablo, when the mechabla, when the malchamobis is running around, ba'alma in the world, boy the proper thing for a person to do is it's a to quarantine in the house. Lis Kasia to cover yourself to hide in your house. and Don't go out in the shuk. Begin. So you should not get hurt. In other words, stay in the house. Self quarantine. It's it's it's, it's kind of weird that this night is where 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 it should be associated with. And uh, I'm not a big in. The, I'm not a couple or anything like that. Uh, let, let's put it this way. To me, the pasim shot is the shuk. You know, you stay away from the marketplace. Like, don't go shopping to the degree that you're capable of doing that. I think everybody's. Worked out whatever protocol they can. Uh, my friend Noah Chavrik knows more about the Kabbalistic side. You know, the shuk can be like the shuk of Hanukkah, you know, the adshur, tichler, regimen, shuk. I'm not getting into that stuff. But just the Pasha Bashad is kind of remarkable to me. The Bashad, the Mechablam, Ishtach, Balma, when the Malchamabas are running around, stay in the house. That's exactly what the, the, what, what the world is telling you now. Does this mean that this year will be like the original Passover and they'll bring the Gula? That'd be a speech for somebody else to give. You know, I told you, Ram Khal has a whole book in which he makes that case that the the, this, the coming Mashiach will be paralleling the uh, original Yitzhizma's rhyme. Maybe that's what he means, in which case this will be the last podcast you hear in the Gula's. Anyway, on a more mundane note, I just wanted to, I had some notes, you know, I have from different years notes that I wrote and the Seder and there's something I pulled out the other day about Maror and um, I was actually going to dedicate to somebody but I won't and uh, I'll just uh, share with you uh, it's about a page or so uh, with the idea of Maror and it says that the uh, Rupshitzer Rebbe the famous Naftali Rupshitzer says you can eat a small amount of Maror Now, how much do you need a kazais for Maror we all know you need a kazais from Matzah maybe even two but uh, what about Maror it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah thou shalt eat Maror Consider what I just said. There's no pusik that says, you know, tochal marar Right? Correct? There's no pusik that says, you uh, should eat marar. It says, al rom which is different. al marim that the Karim Pesach, that's where the word Ochel goes on, should be eaten accompanied by Matzah mar. That's the derisa, which we don't have today because no Karim Pesach. But that, according to most opinions, that's the derisa. But it doesn't say, thou shalt eat mara. Consequently, it's never been cleared if you need a kazayis or not. I'm mean, here, this is like a halachic discussion, you know. And uh, the, the reason we do, you know, you look in your Haggadah, it says, you need eat a kazayis or mara. And because of the rush who said that since you make a bracha, once you make a bracha on an alachilas you need a kiel. is a kazayis. Which is a very roundabout way. It's a weird way of approaching it, you know. because when they made the bracha up, they said, remember, all all the brachas are, are are mid are midrabanan, right? There was a time long ago in that sad old days or happy old days, depending on your attitude, you know no no brachas. You used to eat food and that was it. The assumption was that you have enough of a Herz to say, thank you, oh Lord, appreciate this. You know, you sent this uh, fish my way, you sent this steak my way, appreciate it. Uh, that was your bracha. You didn't have to have a thing called Hamotzi, Lecham, Arts, Mazonas, and all the rest of it. Later in history, the Ramam tells us in the beginning of Hilchus Fila, at the, uh, when things got more formal for a whole bunch of reasons, so they invented brachas. Uh, and ever since then, brachas have been like a science. You know, what brachas you make on this, what brachas you make on that? But once upon a time, there was no such thing. So obviously, long ago, when there was no, I mean, in ancestors' time, there, if there was no such thing as a bracha, then the question is moot. Uh, well, let's put it this way, maybe the opposite. What did somebody do in the time of King David for a marer? Mar- or in the time of, uh, you know, Shlomo Melech, or, you know, those, t- those years? Because there was no bracha. So, and it doesn't say Yachilah, so you can eat a little more or not. So it's a Gonsadian. And by the way, based on this, just, I'll throw this in, based on this, so there's a whole dien in the achronim and all the rest of it, which is, what about the uh, Korich? Because then you don't make any bracha when you do the korech. You know, So do you need a, a, a kezayis for that? Again, don't tell me what this says in your Haggadah. They're just giving you their instructions. But I'm saying, what, what what's the real din? That's a famous Shagasari, by the way. Whether or not you need a kezayis for the uh, korech. But putting all that aside, there are many... Look, when I grew up, with well, me, when I grew up, my parents, all. I never saw people make a big deal about... Uh, uh, kazai samar, do you see a little bit of mar? uh you made a, 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 a big deal about to eat a kazai, so I never had a mar. Uh, and then when I grew up and went to Yeshiva, then I figured like this, my parents and everybody else, that whole generation was wrong because it says you should eat a kazai samar. I figured they're wrong. But it always bothered me, like everybody was wrong. And, uh, and then I saw, as I grew older, you know, this one and that one, the other one, especially Hasidic, him uh, saying, you don't need a more Now, um, what, what is that talking about? And Naftali Rubschritzer, I said before, I saw it when I wrote this, this was from these notes I wrote ten years ago, nine years ago. So he s- says that you can eat a small amount of more. I must have seen it in the Harfinus book, you know, because he brings in all the sheet this and that, Migdash Yisrael. Anyway, obviously the Rubschritzer Rebbe must be referring to horseradish. So, then the legal argument goes like this a little bit of, uh, I'm talking about regular horseradish, not ground. You know, you eat the root. So a little bit of that packs a punch equal to a kazais of something else. Uh, which, in other words, you're talking about quality over quantity. You know, do you need a kazais physically, or do you need the pat, the, 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 the whack of a kazais, you know, the bitterness? Now, in the Gemara's time, they used to use lettuce, correct? You look in the Gemara, they talk about lettuce. And uh, which is the least bitter of the five vegetables. In the Mediterranean areas where Jews lived, they have always used endives. But in the Ashkenazi territory, where I come from, when, in other words, historically, when the Jews moved to northern Europe, uh, they started using horseradish. Historically, horseradish wasn't used until about four or 500 years ago, and according to the Chacham Tzvi, who was a rabbi in Hamburg, uh, he said it was mainly because lettuce was not available in Eastern Europe, in March and April. That's what the Chacham Tzvi says. So no is old, for generation generation, they used lettuce. And then when they moved to a place where there was no lettuce, so what do you do then? The Chacham Tzvi says. So you're talking about 16th, 17th century. And then they came, the practice grew among the Jews of Nor- of Eastern Europe, of no- which is North. Northern Europe, to u- to use uh, um, horseradish. Chrein. Uh, and uh, later on, Gedolim, like the Chacham pushed the idea of horseradish. They were coming from a purely halachic perspective, no bugs. You understand? Because you know how the Oilem is. People don't really know that much about bugs, general in Jewish history, and so even though you could argue that uh, you know the chrain, horseradish is really a root, it's not exactly uh, you know a vegetable. But that's not how the Jews came to see it. This is the regular reason, the historical reason for the use of horseradish, which by the time I grew up is just how everybody did it. That's not how my kids do it today, but that's how they did it. That's one way of understanding it. There is, however, a different way of understanding this and a more mystical way, and perhaps the Rabbishats, and the other Hasidic mystics had this in mind. The notion of eating a small amount of super bitter maror conforms to the idea that the reason the Jews left after only 210 years was because of Koshi, Hashibud, Kitzar, Savodah, Abdus Mitzrayim, that the Egyptians were able to pack, not able, the Egyptians packed 400 years of pain in the 210, Now this the classic business, where how come the Jews only stayed 210 years ha- Kosh was is the case, they took them out early, why didn't they stay for the full time, Avram Avinu was told, "Yadoa Ateidah, Kiger Yezarechem Berzolahem, you know that so, why wasn't this, uh, you know carried out, and there are many ways of explaining that, okay uh, the uh, Prosh drachem one of my favorite books you know, he goes through all those different sheets. There's a long uh, speech, a long drush about that. And one of the ways, you know, broadly speaking, there are three approaches. Broadly speaking, in the Chazal, there are others, but broadly put, in other words, I'll, I'll repeat. How come the Jews got out early? One way is to say, Koshi ha-shibu. the other one is to say, Ribu and the third one is to say, nashem at least that's how I remember. I'm going by heart over here. Even though I took my, uh, 50 Haggadahs out, but I haven't started looking them through yet. Koshi uh, Ashibud means that um, the first two, let me put it this way, the first two of those three say that it really wasn't out. They didn't get out early. It's just, if you use a um, accountant's trick, a CPA's trick, which God did, so then you can say that the of 400 years, was Mekayim in 210. The third way is to say it's a matter of grace. Which is that God just let him out early? Get over it. The first way is to say, "Koshi Ashibu." The Egyptians worked them so hard that uh, they packed four hundred years of slavery into that. So that generally means that that approach generally goes like this: They're supposed to be there for four hundred years, but that's four hundred years, let's say, of uh, of twelve hours at work a day. So four hundred years, twelve hours of work a day. Suppose I told you the Egyptians made them work twenty hours of work a day. So that's an extra eight hours. So if you pack that over years and years, that comes out to 100 years, you know, something like that. It comes out that the 400 years of McLean earlier. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, that, that's, that's a simplistic way of doing it. Uh, if I told you that they worked them 24 hours a day, so in other words, instead of 400 years of 12 hours, you get 200 years of, of 24 hours. You, you know, that, that kind of approach. Now, that's strictly on the basis of hours. You can also do that. Kameen that they were supposed to work four hundred years with this intensity of labor, but the Egyptians were a bunch of hilarious that they made them working much harder and do backbreaking labor and all that. So the quality of the uh, uh, slave labor was so intense that would that it doubled the normal. So from a regular worker, you expect them to work this hard. And they made them work in the, in the salt mines and everything so, so hard that it came out that the quality of labor uh, expressed itself in 200 years or 210 years would only take 400 years. That's that kind of approach. Then there's the other approach, reboy Lusia. The Jews had so many unnatural number of uh, population explosion. So then the argument goes, you're supposed to be your 400 years for, I'll just make this up, it's supposed to be 400 years for half a half million people. So that means that if they all of a sudden were a million people working for them, you can cut that time in half to 200 years. You understand? It was supposed to be 400 years for a half a million, but since they had a million Jews, caused it a baby boom or more or whatever, then that packed it in that way. And the third third approach is that of Rabbi Akiva, who says, the You know, you can totally understand that. Rabbi Akiva and his wife, the famous story of Rachel, we all know she sold her hair to keep on learning and, and all the rest of it. And so... It's not surprising Rabbi Kiba would say that it was the Noshim to um, you know, who who uh, who through their conduct, their noble conduct, made a thing go longer. And by the way, that's obviously based on the fact that the word Noshim equals four hundred. You understand? So it's supposed to be four hundred years equal to Noshim. The Noshim got out earlier. Those are the three broad approaches you find um, in the old school of how come the Jews got out earlier. So one way is the Koshi Hashibud. Which means that uh, how do you eat Marar and feel the Koshi Hashibud, right? The, 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 the intensity of the, of the back-breaking labor, the, the physical pain? You only get that with horseradish, meaning it knocks the heck out of you, because who can eat that sort of thing? It makes you feel weird if, if you ever do it. Like, take it from me. And that, of course, fits in with the famous interpretation of Yonasev Schütz, because he was asked, and eh, this is in the Haggadah, I'm sure, why does it say in the Torah, es Here I just said, it, es And that's a high note. thats Kadma bi'Azlo, and Kadma uh, bi'Azlo is usually Simcha. So why are we happy that the Egyptians embittered the lives of the Hebrew? Bayamaru es thats that doesn't make any sense musically. And and Ishut answered that the Koshi Ashibid made the golas shorter. So the bitterness called Kadma that the you know the Jews got out the the words Kadma the Trump literally mean they got out earlier, right? Or moving forward, let's say from the time the the Exodus forward, and the gematria of Kadma Vyazla is one hundred and ninety, and therefore Kadma V'Azlo Rivie that uh, you know what I mean by Maros <laughs> Kadma the bitterness brought forward the time. Uh, that the Dora V Yeshuva because Avraham Avinu was told in the Brisbane Manabesarim that the Avi Yeshuva the fourth generation, turned to to um, Israel, and of course it was earlier than that, and therefore that would be the idea the Megabrocho on the Mor, because the Mor got him out earlier. So basically, what you're saying to somebody is, would you rather be in a in a, in a, in a terrible terrible jail, you know, for two years uh, on the regular, or would if I worked you extra hard and you got out a year earlier? So instead of being two years, you come out one year. You, you know, there's an argument both ways. What? And looking in the... Looking, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, you say it's a good thing the guy worked harder and got out a year earlier. That's the general approach when you eat the mar, especially if you eat the bitter mar, like the chrein. the horseradish, that's how you feel, because it packs a punch. And all this is in the horseradish. On the other hand, there's a whole different school of thought. Uh, the al-sheikh, the nod and the others, uh, when they interpret in their Haggadahs, and I wrote this 10 years ago, in their Haggadahs, uh, they taking a ruchnius kind of approach, a spiritual approach. What was the bitterness in Egypt? It got into the mindset of the Jews. They became assimilated, they became Egyptianized, they worshipped the Egyptian religion, all that kind of stuff. So the bitterness is not a physical bitterness, although there was that, but the, the, the bitterness we mourn, according to this Mahalach. The Neta Behuda has this. Uh, is the bitterness we mourn is, of course, the bitterness of the spiritual, uh, you know, the ruchniest uh, type of thing, their uh, Um and this is connected with the seductive civilization of Egypt, to say we, we would say today the seductive civilization of the West of America. If this is the bitter, if this is the bitterness we commemorate, then you don't need more something bitter. Lettuce is more appropriate because the bitterness. Lettuce is more appropriate because the bitterness we're talking about was not physical, it was spiritual, it was a poison that did not taste bitter. Right? That's what assimilation is, like the current times. Thus, the choices of Mara, notice, why do you go lettuce, which is what they use in Gemara. Or you go Mara, while this choice is historical, it is reflective of geography and of history, it also teaches us to consider. Profoundly and sophisticatedly, the question and the nature of what does it mean by "emaros chayehem," which is such a central feature of our retelling of the Sefer Ryan. That's a short business. When you get tomorrow tonight, if you want to consider this from different aspects, you might uh, uh, use this as a topic of conversation at the table. Uh, and with that, I wish everybody a kasher or as I say these days, a a kosher and happy and safe. Uh, Pesach. Seag is